I was born and raised in Chicago. The first time I ever went to Nigeria in my entire life was in 1995. So it was really an eye opener. And from 1995 to 2003, which was, was just when I came to Nigeria again. The no, I came, I think I, I went in 99. But so 95, 99, and then 2003, there were so many dynamic, fast changes within that time period. And, um, you know, when you're approached for something like that, you never really know what to, to really say. And obviously that comes that comes with a certain amount of pressure. Like if I say no, am I still going to have a job? Right. It was like, we really want you to go here. And if you can't, uh, that's it. Right. So, but there's no place like home. Hey everyone, welcome to the Shaping Africa podcast. Each week we highlight an inspiring person who is shaping Africa so you can learn how to use your own skills and uniqueness to make real impact on the continent. I'm your host, Rose Thiga. I think we could start uh, my journey uh, at Indiana State. I think it's pretty much where it all started. Okay. Uh, I went to Indiana um, both uh, undergrad and graduate. I got my MBA from there as well uh, in organizational uh, development. My undergrad was in communications and marketing. And so Africa wasn't really on the forefront. I was born and raised in the U.S. I was born in Chicago. But we have traveled back and forth to Nigeria for like holidays, Christmas, December, uh, a few summers. And, um, you know, outside of the normal threat that, you know, if you don't ship up, we are going to ship you back to Nigeria. <laughs> Uh, African so, uh, parents, yes. African, uh, you know, I, you are hanging with the wrong crowd. You say, I will send you back. I will send you to Africa. <laughs> so aside from the proverbial threats, I never really had living in Africa, you know, in the forefront of my mind. And so after after I got my MBA, I started working for GE uh, Oil and Gas. And uh, they were I, I worked with GE Power in Atlanta first. And then the position became available for me to, to move to to Africa. At the time, I didn't know it was going to be Nigeria, but they, you know, had it all set up for me. Adiola, your, your, your background, your, your parents are Nigerian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We think you would be a shoe-in for this position. And uh, originally, it was like in Port Harcourt. And, you know, it was on a base. You know what I mean? Like you're staying there with like expatriates, you know, but right. they're all old. They're like 50, 60. And I mean, I'm fresh out of you know, graduate school, I'm still young, vibrant. I'm like, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. And, you know, what's in the city. And then at the time, unfortunately for uh, for the area, there was a lot of kidnapping. Kidnapping was a bit uh, prevalent. And so it just wasn't really my vibe, you know, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to. And then a good, a good big brother of mine, whom I, I will mention by name, he gave me an opportunity to, to transition still within GE um, in Lagos and come mm-hmm. into Lagos. It was like, whoa, it was like New York. You know, I was like, man, it's like 25 million people. It was rocky. And I was like, yeah, this is more like it. This is, yeah, this is Africa I've been wanting to see. And, you know, I, I you know, worked my way up the ranks. And then um, I got another opportunity. Um, I stumbled on it, literally, um, to to be the um, head of trading operations for a company called Falawio Energy Limited, okay. which at the time was the largest joint venture in Nigeria. We were doing about 51, 52% of the uh, gasoline that was coming into Nigeria. Amazing. So I was responsible for managing the operations of the cargo coming in, the discharge, the retailing of the sales. And uh, that was really my real introduction into the oil and gas downstream, like right. into trade. And uh, at the time, the partner was Glencore, 
Uh, Mr. Flywheel had a joint venture with Glencore. They were a really, really big uh, UK-based um, trading outfit in Nigeria. And uh, that was really like my eye-opening like experience into really being in Nigeria and just seeing how much potential was. I, I was completely unaware of the industry. That's where I kind of got my trading experience from, you know, just really my introduction to the industry. I hadn't really done anything like that prior. And all my previous experiences have been, you know, in the U.S., just in regular, you know, corporate America positions. You know, I was doing like HR work, you know, human resources management. So, but nothing into the oil and gas space. And I met a lot of really, really good um, people. To this day, I would always have to attribute my success to to Mr. Tunde Falawio. Without him, I wouldn't have really been in Nigeria. I wouldn't have met, you know, I wouldn't be on the current trajectory that I am. So I did that for about three years. Um, and then I, I decided to dabble in consulting. You know, I met so many different companies that really were interested in, in working with me and me working for them. Um, I kind of got introduced into crude, which is, you know, the upstream oil and gas sector, crude oil. I worked with several different companies, far too many to mention all by name. I don't want to leave anyone off, but I mean, even state oil companies uh, outside of Nigerian uh, National Petroleum Corporation. I worked mm -hmm. with a uh, state oil company of Azerbaijan, Sokar. I've done a lot of consulting work for them and a lot of other uh, positions. But again, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if it hadn't been for my experience with Mr. Falawio. Like it was mm -hmm. really eye opening introduction into several different aspects and areas of, of the business. Totally. And uh after that, I started consulting, you know, full time. I started my own consultancy company called Petrola Freak. And uh, it's basically, you know, a consulting company for companies that want to do business in Africa, particularly West Africa, which is where most of my experience lies, uh, and specifically in Nigeria. So a lot of companies contact me, whether they're uh, downstream petroleum traders like uh, gasoline or diesel, mm -hmm. which is automotive gas oil, or some NAFTA trades, or they want to just know what is the general consumption uh, in Nigeria. Yeah. So they contact me. And then I, I got a request, funny enough, from uh, an, uh, an individual that was into LPG. And I was like, oh, I know what LPG is, which is liquefied petroleum gas, but I'm not really familiar with it. So it kind mm -hmm. of stumped me. You know, oh, they said that you could do anything. I was like, yeah, I could. You know, and of course, you know, being young, ambitious businessman, I'm not going to turn it down. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. LPG is it? Yes. Don't worry. Don't worry. LPG. Yes, 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 yes. And so it was that that contract that actually introduced me into the market. And I found out how grossly underserved, you know, LPG was and how, how much potential it had. Mm -hmm. And I was guys like, so are you planning on coming into Nigeria? Where he's like, no, 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 it's a bit dicey. And he mentioned all of the concerns that he had. I was like, man, that's for you because you're in Europe. I'm on the ground. Right. I mean, yeah. right. I can do this. And so basically that was the start. That was the catalyst into getting into LPG. And so I decided to partner with a few good friends of mine that I've known in the industry for quite some time. We put our, our little stones and monies together and said, you know what, let's build this thing. And mm -hmm. so currently we are set up at a, um, in the Lecky free trade zone area. Okay. Uh, we're doing, uh, we have a 20 ton tank and a 10 ton tank and we're doing about 40 tons a week. You know, it's uh, really grown. Awesome. It's uh, mm -hmm. not really anything to write home about just yet, but you can see it. We're on the cusp of building something great. And I believe our, our vision overall is to have one station in, in every, in every city in Nigeria, you know, because LPG really is the future. Um, it's unfortunate that it's a bit uh, pricey at the moment. The pricing is, has been one of the, 
the key components and key issues uh, to to getting people to come on board. You know, and moving from mm. yeah, dirty fuels like you know charcoal and wood. You know, and kerosene. You know, those right. are still very prevalent. Yeah. And you know, to the typical African person, the, the African woman cooking, uh, the, the the cooking for the drivers and uh, the people that are on the road, the roadside cooks. You know, they're going to go with the cheapest, uh, totally. cheapest product available, yeah. whether it's charcoal. They don't necessarily care about inhaling the carcinogens and harmful substances that may cause cancer. You know, it's about the bottom line. You know, they have to send their children to school. You know, so these are all things that uh, we're really working hard to try to um, make it affordable, make it more affordable and try to really lobby to, to see how we can get, you know, the LPG market to where it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that's how you and I met uh, at LPG Week in Dubai. Yeah. <laughs> I remember right. I was sitting on the panel and then, um, you know, I'm like this guy with a Nigerian name with a deep American accent uh, <laughs> <laughs> asks very poignant questions about how to increase uh, LPG access. And I was like, I got to have you um, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think your story is super interesting. I And I think there's a lot of... Um, people in the US and they could be, you know, uh, you know, African, African, like, but also just African American. And I think Ghana has seen this quite a bit. And oh. yeah, because of the whole return um, push. And, and, and free citizenship and, you know, really helping totally. out. I think yeah. all African Asians take a page, you know, top hats off to, to, to Ghana. Ghana, for what I they're agree. Mm-hmm. Really making strides to making, coming back to Africa you know, a theme and actually a reality for so many people. There are quite a few Americans over there that I've met personally that literally they just abandoned everything that they had mm-hmm. and living full time in Ghana. Yeah. You know, and and I think, ever- yeah. And I think that set <laughs> of people have a lot to offer the continent. I mean, if we take you of as a course. use case, like you've come in and, you know, you're building an actual business that's impacting lives. I mean, not to sure. say that there are not challenges in, within that, but um, I just think for Africa's next phase, you know, we really need to think strategically about how to engage our own who may be in the diaspora um, sure. to really come back home and and build, you know, build the <laughs> continent. <laughs> um, so th- there's a couple interesting themes in your story that I, I want to explore a little further. Um I think one is, you know, a very common through line with people who come back is that they come back through their U.S. employer. And I think that's a really easy transition to to come back in that way. I always call it a soft landing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, what was your calculus like when you got approached to, to go to Nigeria, having grown up with this thing from your parents, like we'll ship you off to Niger. <laughs> yeah. Mm. My, How my was parents, that decision for you? My parents uh, had planted the seed, I believe, you know, mm-hmm. and when they realized that the threat was actually something that I was really counting on, they tried, they changed it at the last minute. Oh, no, no, no. If he gets to Nigeria, he will, he will end up hanging with the riffraffs <laughs> of, <in Nigeria>. <laughs> <laughs> where we can still keep an eye on him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as, older as I matured obviously um Nigeria became a place of um of revelation really like I I think that there's this is things that I share you know when I'm at the barbershop when you know because when we were growing up in the diaspora right I was born and raised in Chicago the first time I ever went to Nigeria my entire life was in 1995 so it was really an eye-opener and from 1995 to 2003 was, was just when I came to Nigeria again 
the no i came i think i, I went in 99 but so 95 99 and then 2003 there were so many dynamic vast changes within that time period and um you know when you're approached for something like that you never really know what to to really say right. and obviously that comes that comes with a certain amount of pressure like if i say no am i still gonna have a job right it was like we really want you to go here and if you can't uh, that's it right. so but there's no place like home. I can't stress that enough. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, growing back, growing up then in America at a young age, the images we had of Africa weren't positive. You know what I mean? And then my experiences, I wouldn't say that they weren't positive, but they weren't anything that were influential to the point where I wanted to change and like live, live here. You know, when right. we go on a vacation, of course you're seeing the best. They're, they're, they're being nice, but then you pass through some places and you're like, ah, nah, I don't think I can stay here. You know, but it, but that is also here in America. It's it's everywhere. You know what I mean? Those elements, the different elements of life are always going to be in every city, in every country that you may be able to travel to. And so I think in the 2000s, starting particularly with music, you would see that there was this transition. A lot of people came back home, like Debanj. I remember hearing him for the first time, first came to, to Nigeria. It made it cool. It gave us this sense of... <laughs> identity. So I really particularly look at like from 2002 till about 2009 was like a renaissance here where mm-hmm. people were coming back and it was cool, you know, because, you know, growing to school, I, I used to hate attendance. You know, when they would do like a roll call, they were like, Carrie Adams here, John Adams here. They called me Abdullah Alamga. I was like, I'm being close and I would always jump ahead when you like Carrie Adams I know I'm right after Adams I, yeah 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 <laughs> just no, so I'm they gonna wouldn't... mess up your name in Nigeria yeah, yeah with uh, your people exactly but you know when you're growing up it wasn't cool to be African but now as you see you can hear whiz kid and you hear I'm a piano on the on the radio now like in America like you know we're we're hot you know it's cool to be African and so I think that um being back, you know, it, it gives you this sense of not only belonging, not only identity, but a real sense of contribution. Whereas when you're in um, Europe or if you're in America, mm-hmm. you're just, you know what I mean? Like you're not, your contribution may go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're in Africa and you're in the heart, even though you might not be noticed on a global scale or it's not like the offices of the presidency are calling you, but the little person in the neighborhood that you give a discount to, like, ah, God bless you. And you know, right. you, can, you can feel they feel you. You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. they know you're chief. You know, you have all these, like, area guys that hype you up, that make you feel good. <laughs> Boss, like, as we say in I, Kenya. I, yeah, yeah. After you, now you, you know, mm-hmm. after you. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, it's that love, that camaraderie. You can't really get it anywhere else. Totally. But if I would have known this, from the beginning, like right after school, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wasted like two or three years in America. I would have went straight, straight to Africa. You know what I mean? Knowing what I know. Right. Absolutely. Earlier. I always think about, man, I would have been here, here and here if I just (laughs) just earlier, you know, but it's, it's a learning process. And I think that it's easier now. Mm -hmm. It's easier for people to even have Africa on the, on the forefront of their minds that it's a viable option. You can do it. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a, witness mm-hmm. you know yeah, man you took me when you mentioned the band she took me back to philly clubs <laughs> were playing the band yeah. when i was in business school and we were like 
this is insane. Like, we couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know? Because we, at least I grew up with the old music. Like, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really hip, especially if you didn't speak the language. Of, yeah. And like one track, like 24 minutes long, you know. <laughs> but, you know, when the band was seeing Two-Face with African Queen, you know, we were in the movies. You mm-hmm. know, Monique did a movie. I mentioned mm-hmm. Philly. Monique mm-hmm. did a movie called Fat Girls. And then, um, you know, African Queen was on there. You are my African Queen. Like, that was uh-huh. part of the Renaissance. It was totally. like, yo, Africa on the map. Yeah, you know, uh, um, that song Yahoo, uh oh, you know what I mean? Like, right, like all, right, all those little jams that were coming around at mm-hmm, that time, mm-hmm. and then also your girl, too, from South Africa, uh, Brenda, uh, she's late, I forgot her name. It was all around Brenda that, Fassi or no, Fassi. Fassi. okay, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A CD back when we used to really have CD players. I had yeah, 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 yeah. All the African hits, you know. So around that time was just a very vibrant time. And then we had, first we had our Wilo Lungu Ba, you know, Carol. Like that. It was just a rocking time. It really was. It was just cool to be African. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. Okay. So I guess with with GE, you you thought. This is my opportunity. I'm gonna take it. Um, and what? So you mentioned uh, you had a mentor who kind of took you, you know, yeah, under his wing. He was the MD at the time. I, yeah. I came in. At, it was funny. The transition to Lagos was quite different from any other opportunity. It was like mm-hmm. kind of created for me, to be, so mm-hmm. to speak. I mean, a few other individuals that they had looked out for, but it was a communications in, intern was my was my title. You know, I was literally communications uh intern and in nigeria we have this uh like youth service it's called nigerian youth service mm-hmm. oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. we have the same here mm-hmm. uh, yeah so mm-hmm. i i was doing my youth service at ge you oh. know what i mean so it was it was cool it was a nice brief introduction but you know uh mr falawio mr tunde falawio is the one that really like all right cool now now you're really doing you know business in nigeria now you're really mm-hmm. working so yeah. the, the the proverbial soft landing that you said, I believe, was due to Mr. Falawio. Like, you know, yeah. the PE wasn't necessarily a soft landing. Like, you know, at that time, it was kind of it was an opportunity. I don't want to I don't want to discredit them in any way. I appreciated the opportunity. I learned a lot. However, the real soft landing was, you know, was Mr. Falawio because it was like, OK, now I'm I'm fully here. I'm fully engaged. You know, I, I have like a team around me, mm. you know of uh, indoctrinated me into the the business it was more like a postgraduate academy and like but real hands-on experience mm. you know the in was like an introduction it was like the appetizer but then mr falawio gave me the meal and how you know, did you the, yeah how did you meet mr falawio so my wife's dad uh-huh. is one of my good friends and when uh-huh. i first met him i always like to tell the story because i had never heard of the name you know i was completely oblivious to anyone you know all the big men in nigeria and i met him you know he had flip-flops on you know i met him at a at his hotel in atlanta and so of course you know he was dressed down he was like yeah you know yeah, you gotta... mm-hmm. i was so uh, so unassuming so humble mm-hmm. such a guy you would never know like this the, the caliber the magnitude of this guy you know i didn't i just met him and you know of course i just treated him like you know like regular i was like hey how you doing hey uncle hey what's up now you know hey what's going on 
Uh, so what do you got? Oh, job. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't take this the wrong way. I might not cut. I don't know. I'll, I'll look you up. <laughs> so he gave me his card. And, and lo and behold, I, I come to Nigeria again because, you know, the whole GD thing didn't work out. And I was at the time thinking about trying to get a job at ExxonMobil. And so at the time, the guy that was the MD at ExxonMobil, his name was uh, Mr. Tunji Oyebanja. And so I was like chasing this guy around because I was introduced to him. I was trying to call him, text him. No, no response. He was like, you know, it was one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Come and see me in the office. Knowing fully well, I'll never make it to the office. But that didn't work out. So I remember that I had this Uncle Tunde's card and I was like, oh, let me let me call him up. And so I called him up and he was like, yeah, yeah, you're I'm in town. You, you called at the right time. Come and see me. And so, OK, I, I go to a papa, you know, to go and see him in his office in a papa. And I look up at the building. It says full Howie Plaza. And I'm looking at the card. I'm like, oh, man, hey, big guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I go up and all of these people are waiting to see him, including the same guy from ExxonMobil. He was in the <laughs> trying to see the guy that wanted me to come and see him. So I'm like, you know, I get in the room and it's the big waiting room. They're all in suits. And, you know, I'm dressed down because, of course, you know, I don't know. I don't know the caliber of who I was going to go see. And so I, I go and see I go and see him. But I see the guy that I've been trying to see. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, you too, huh? You're here, too. <laughs> You weren't as big as as I thought. <laughs> so anyway, Okatune comes out. And of course, I'm the last person he's going to see. But he sees me and I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing, sir? And they're all, you know, everyone stood up and shook his hand. He was like, Mr. Atlanta, how are you now? I was like, oh, uh, sorry about that, sir. I, I had no idea. <laughs> and so we, we, we just hit it off. And, you know, he gave me a great opportunity. And uh, I'm forever grateful, forever grateful. Mm, that's amazing. Um, so how would you, for people that are looking to, to transition, um, I think you got really lucky. Uh, I did. Yeah. In finding a mentor. Um, but how would you advise them to go about, um, you know, finding someone who will basically, you know, give them responsibility, you know, give them opportunity, kind of ground them and introduce them to the realities of the market. For me, actually, that was someone, an alum of my school. He gave me my first job in Kenya. And as a result of that job, you know, even like the board, the external directors he appointed um, have continued to be mentors to me. Um, so I, I also got lucky <laughs> in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's also a critical element to transitioning is, is finding um, I forget what my husband used to call them. Uh, not kingmakers. There's, there's a word he used to use, like people who mm-hmm. will help you, you know, settle, navigate, yeah. expose you in the network because you you really got a network on your back. It's 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 extremely important. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely not recommend to anyone to try to jump in blindly. It's okay to come in for a visit. I, I, I think that if I was to to do it all over again mm-hmm. and to really put together a strategy for someone and what, what my words of encouragement would be for that individual would be that, okay, what is it that you want to do? Just identify that. Then begin to identify the people, the key individuals, the key players that are in that industry. So if you want to, to make bread and bread is you want to be a baker and that's your passion, that's your dream, mm-hmm. find the biggest bakers that are in your place. That do you want to do business, whether it's a Ghana, it's a Kenya, Nigeria, Morocco, wherever, whatever African country that you want to go and find out who the biggest person is. Mm-hmm. And God's so good. We're in a technology day and age. 
totally. where these are accessible before they weren't, mm-hmm. you know, you would have to know someone that knew someone that knew someone, but now you can find the person's name, find an email and believe it or not, people respond, they people do. respond. I cannot tell you how many companies that when I first started my consultancy that I was sending, you know, these email blasts to that I felt like weren't going to get any traction or any attention. And surprisingly it did. You know, but persistency is the key. You may not get a response your first go around, but stay persistent. And you may not get the top person in the industry, but someone in the industry will respond. Someone might give you that opportunity and then set up a trip, you know, plan to say, okay, two weeks, three weeks and or four weeks, depending on what your situation is. Some people may not have the luxury of time, you know, or the finances or resources to be able to stay forward. But I would definitely encourage a minimum of two week trip for you to kind of get a real feel for the place that you plan on being. Can you, can you see yourself living in this environment or, or working? And then in those two weeks, you should have had targeted, you know, appointments, targeted visited, uh, uh, visitations with individuals that you want to either work for, or you want them to mentor you and to give you advice about the space. And, you know, um, in Africa, I noticed that there are things that you just can't plan for. Sometimes some things just happen you know, unexpectedly, and you have to learn how to navigate that, but that will come as you're there, as you're, as you're living, as you're working, you'll learn to adjust and adapt. I think that every African on the earth has this innate ability of resiliency, you know, that we, we, we will get through it somehow, some way, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not going to be easy. So I think that that's one of the the things that people need to know. It's a fairy tale story for me now, but there were moments and there were times where you do get homesick, you feel like, you know, and, and at that time, we didn't really have social media. We had Facebook, you know, but Instagram wasn't uh, available. And it wasn't like this real time where I can just get on and, and see. It would be like, oh, I, I post something and somebody sees it because of the time difference six hours later. You know what I mean? And, you know, then I'm responding. So it's like I'm talking to them a day in advance, mm. you know, like and I have to wait until the end of the day before they respond and they may not respond until they night. And so you, you have that sense of kind of loneliness if you don't really meet the right people. And everyone that I was around when I first came into Africa, they were all older than me, you know, 10, 15, 16 years older than me Mm -hmm. because I was a young guy that just came in. I was virtually unknown Mm -hmm. and I was able to blend. I was able to adjust, you know, and, and, and kind of fit in, you know, and then once you insulate yourself with the good people, a good network, you won't really have that sense of uh, loneliness or like, oh man, I miss this. I miss that. Totally. And then now almost everything, things that I enjoyed, like KFC, there's KFC all over the place in Nigeria. Like, you know what I mean? Like we got dominoes, you know? So all of these things are starting to come in to, to Africa. Abundance. And if, if companies and corporations see the opportunity, how much more should we see it as individuals totally. that actually belong to this culture, to this country? You know, why not maximize? We should be the ones that are actually bringing these people in. And I think that's another way of looking at it that we don't really do. If you want to be a baker, maybe partner with the biggest baker here and see how you can bring them into your situation, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, whatever you're passionate about, yeah. you know, that passion from here, there and say, hey, you know, I'm, 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 I am from Kenya. Or I'm from Swaziland. And, you know, I got this land over here. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And because of your service and because of the reputation that you've built, that you've built here, you know, or in Europe or whatever part of the world that you live in. And then you bring that to Africa. And I think that that's another way 
that the transition is a little bit easier because now you're coming with the backing of an organization. Mm. Not everyone would would do yeah. it, but mm-hmm. those ideas that I know now that I wish I knew then. Right, right. That's really powerful. I think these two things that you said that resonate is is one, you know, we need to be the ones to also take advantage of the opportunities. Yeah. Yes. Um, and two is like, don't feel like you have to give up your passion. Try and figure out how you can actually bring your passion and your skills um, to advance the continent. Uh, that's excellent. You talked about resiliency. How, how, what other qualities have you had to embody? <laughs> to, uh, yeah. Um, patience. Mm. Patience is, is something that even probably Mr. Falawi would tell you that I didn't have. You know, and it's just come over time. But you have to have coming into Africa. Things don't always things as simple as electricity. We can be talking right now and boom, it goes out Mm -hmm. and you just have to learn to adapt. You can't really be frustrated. In the beginning, I remember working at home out out of the, uh, you know, after I leave the office, if I had extra work that I had to do and, you know, I would be on my computer typing up a nice report or something and boom, my power goes out and I didn't have like the uh, the UPS uninterrupted power, the power supply, these things that you don't think about because you just take so many things for granted. And, you know, just that simple adjustment of electricity, like it's a shocker. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? It's not working or, you know, things that were supposed to, to work. Sometimes our water would go out in, in the building I was in. We'd have to wait for the water to be delivered. You know, you just, you, you build that patience, you know, and acceptance, you know, on the things that you cannot change. You know, they are just out of your power and you didn't, you, there's no way that you could actually like factor that into your planning. You can't build that into a contingency plan or what happens if road closes or, you know, you you just don't think of those things. There Mm. there are a lot of Africa that you don't think about, but they occur. Mm. You know what I mean? And you have to learn how to adjust and adapt, you know, and that can only really come from being patient. You know, these are things that I'm saying it now, it sounds lovely. But these were things that were extremely frustrating and they take a toll on, you You know, if you're not mentally prepared. So I think that the other things aside from resiliency is, you know, the ability to adjust, the ability to to adapt and then just being patient and then just having the mental fortitude to know that, hey, when it happens, you just got to be cool. Trying to maintain your peace and be calm because Mm. people in worse situations are still thriving. That's one right. thing that I know about Africans. Like we just have this innate ability. It's a, it's a beautiful thing because we're beautiful people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're even in the, in the roughest circumstances. You know, uh, there was an article on LinkedIn about a lady that was taking tires and making it into furniture. I saw the video just maybe last week or two weeks. I can't remember right. her name. Right. But just a typical example of, you know, playing the cards that were dealt to you. You know, like literally going around, gathering these old tires, refurbishing them and making them into furniture, mm-hmm. sofas, tables, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I feel like with the abundant amount of resources that we have, we always find a way to press on, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's the seller kid that is using this to go to school, he's juggling school or she's juggling school while selling fruits on her head, taking care of a little brother and sister. It's just, it's a lot that we do that, you know, I think sometimes the world doesn't see or doesn't give us enough credit for. Mm, mm, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, there's a certain level of uh, work ethic as well that I think is oh yeah, yeah not fully appreciated. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah. Um, so what's your hope for maybe let's say like Nigeria or the continent more broadly, you know? <laughs> Man, that is a great question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those questions that you talk about at the barbershop all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've had um several different uh promises um via politicians, via situations and 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 to be fair to be fair to them you know i've never been a politician i know that it's not easy you know nigeria has a population of excess of 200 million people so you can't really satisfy everyone but i think what the masses are crying for what the masses want are just the necessities you know i think every Mm. and has this ability to 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 really make something of whatever they're given but you have to be given at least certain basic necessities mm-hmm. like electricity, uh, like like good roads. Mm-hmm. You know, if electricity was available in Nigeria, I think the amount of products that one could produce, the amount of the amount of business that could be uh, achieved, it, it's astronomical. The, 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 the possibilities are endless. Even solar, just trying to even bring solar into to Nigeria, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's difficult. But I think that um, what I would like to see are people that are people oriented, you know, first. Mm -hmm. We really, really lack, not just in Nigeria, I think in Africa in general, you know, and I've I've had the the luxury to to visit several African countries. I think over 25 or 30 African countries that I've been to at a high level, you know, and I mean to to either engage in business with um, direct political officials or, you know, senior government officials. So I've, I've been you know, been able to see it at a very large scale. And there's a lot of similarities when you go from country to country, particularly in West Africa and Central Africa as well. The the, the mentality sometimes can be misconstrued. Like, yes, you're in position, you're in power, but you're in power for the people. You should be for the people. And sometimes I think that those lines kind of can get crossed. And then, you know, the, the relationship between the people and the government isn't always harmonious. It's not always in sync. And, um, you know, when elephants fight, the, the grass suffer. You know what I mean? So the masses are the ones that that feel the effects when people start to politicize or go on campaigns on different sides of the coin, like, oh, I'm in this party and I'm in that party. There should be one party, the, the human party, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people are suffering. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can't rise and be oblivious to to our brothers and sisters. And I think that that's one of the things that have been missing, not just in Nigeria, but in Africa at, in general. I would like to see people that have the passion for people until we start to see each other as brother and sister. So when you see yourself as a president and you say that this guy selling on the road is my brother, I need to help him. Not that that element will change, Roadside selling is actually a good business. And people are, especially if you're in traffic, that's an opportunity. But well, how is this condition at home? Is mm. this a choice or circumstance? Mm. You know, like, should not be a child selling. You know, a child should be in school, and especially during the hours of school. Why is that child out there? You know what I mean? So those are the issues that I feel like if we can tackle as a community, as a, as a people, you know, that I think that Africa's future is very, very bright. You have people like Akon coming in to bring electricity who are using their platforms, their their celebrity right. for good. That's mm-hmm. all great that I think that as we see more examples, more people will follow suit. And hopefully the people like an Akon in that genre that are probably 45, 50 
hopefully they attain political office sometime because they've already established themselves individually. Their own personal net worth is secured. So they're not in there with the mindset of what can I gain? They're in mm-hmm. the mindset of service. And I think that that's, uh, and and I'm all for it too. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm all for persons that are serving to be compensated for their service. However, not at the detriment of the masses. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where we get it wrong, you know, a lot of times. And yeah. that's that I would hope to see change in the future. You know, mm-hmm. if I was at kitchen, which I probably don't have the desire to run. I would rather just do things behind the scenes. But if I was ever in the position, that's what I would want to make sure that I try to in, implant and and, and, and and implement inside of the, the, the political culture is like, mm-hmm. hey, we, we need to be people oriented first. You know, before you serve yourself, let's serve others. And mm-hmm. therefore, when you self, it's not really going to be an issue because right. everyone is already, has already been taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I, I, I agree totally. Um, and one of the, the reasons I started the podcast was to inspire people to actually take action. Cause I think if all of us do our work in serving others and like being mm-hmm. mission driven, I really think there's an opportunity for us to like cause a ripple effect in society as more like you're saying you know people oriented values driven leaders um show up uh i we need to make that the norm um rather than the exception but it's flip it's the other way right now (laughs) where we have more leaders who are for for themselves um than than for the masses um but that's that's one of my hopes with this podcast is just you know, in your little world, like even if you're a professional, I don't know, working at GE or Deloitte or KPMG, that you're, you become very clear about how you're making an impact uh, as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, driving change, you know, in whatever area that might be. And it could look like, you know, volunteering with SMEs. I, I don't know what it is, you know, for, for you in particular. For me, it was you know, starting this podcast. And I'm also trying to do a lot more work with youth employment, um, you know, thinking big picture about the fourth industrial revolution and what that means for Africa, right? Because if we exclude the guy at the at the, at the side of the roads <laughs> selling um, yeah. selling vegetables or whatever from, from technology, I think we, we may have, you know, a really, and, and Africa has a lot of young people. So how do we rip the benefits of, of that uh, demographic dividend and make sure we have productive people. Um, I mean, that, so I think each of us have to figure out like, what do we, how do we want to serve? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's important. I, mm. It's, it's I, I the nail on the head. That's your spot on in your yeah. assessment of figuring out how to serve. And I think, you know, charity begins at home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, it starts with you as an individual. You mm-hmm. find a way that you're comfortable with. And it, like you said, it, in my space, it's usually interacting with SMEs, mm-hmm. also interacting with young guys. I, when I see a young guy that is ambitious or I see myself, my old young self in a person, I try to nurture it and try to encourage it. We have a lot of guys that come to our plants, right, to our, to our LPG filling station with a 50, uh, 50, uh, 50 kg tank. Right. And they go out and sell it, you know, like they'll connect the hose and, and sell it into the 12 kg to, for someone's home. You know what I mean? Like cheaper 
because they're buying bulk and then they go out and, and that's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't really be upset at that. Like that's, that's a young ambitious hustler. Like that's a young business making man on, 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 you know, in the making. Amazing. And I think that, you know, when you see them, you encourage them. It could even just be conversation. Hey man, keep doing what you're doing. If it gets tough, don't worry. You know, or if, if, if you say, Hey, you know what, on this one, I'll, I'll give you a buy one, get one on credit, you know, like help, you know, in, in any way that you can, obviously you can't extend that line of credit to everyone. Cause some people just run off and be like, ah, thank you very much. Sir. God bless you. And you never see it again. <laughs> be like, Oh, Merry Christmas. yes. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <It came right. laughs> you know, but I just think that when you can see people that are of, of like mind, we have to encourage the talent, the youth, because mm-hmm. they're, they're the leaders of tomorrow. But in fairness to a lot of the young people too, not most of them, not, not all, but there are quite a few young entrepreneurs, men and women, that have taken the technology, like the lady I was telling you about that makes tires into furniture. Like, that's amazing. And there's some young girl in Nigeria, like she was probably 22, 23. Mm-hmm. And already people are, I mean, are buying and, you know, really, really supporting her, her with her furniture. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those type of cases, like you said, are are not necessarily rarities. They're actually quite normal, but they're not always highlighted. We don't always know what strides individuals are taking. But if we, in our own way, in our own circle, the people that we have direct contact to or direct access to, try to encourage that or try to create an environment that will continue to produce those type of individuals. Because really, that's the future of tomorrow. It is. It is. You're in the U.S. right now. Um, and mm. you shuttle in between. Um, what's that experience like? So you shuttle between the U.S. and Nigeria. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, tough. I have four children and a okay. wife that live here. Okay, and they're actually knocking right now. I'm about to do my Nigerian dad thing. I'm busy. Come back. <laughs> I'm not gonna edit that part out. By the way, Adiola. <laughs> go away (laughs) (laughs) so anyhow so on on the um on the the traveling it's it's kind of brutal sometimes it's 12 hour flight usually if i take a direct flight from delta lagos to atlanta or lagos to jfk is 11 and a half hours or 10 hours so uh i try to do it uh quite often because you know my my children are growing so they kind of need me to be around and present and I've made that active decision that I would have to shuffle back and forth. And luckily for me, I have phenomenal partner, you know, inside Bakari, who holds down the fort. You know, he he runs the the day to day operations. You know, he's pretty much you know the boots on the ground. Like he he's a he's a trustworthy guy. You know, he's a brother. And without that, I probably wouldn't be able to stay away as long. You know, sometimes I come two three weeks. There's a last year. There's a like now. I'm probably going to stay a month and I can do that because of tech of my competent, you know, right hand, my right hand man who is there. But um, that's another thing that, you know, individuals that plan on coming back or if you have a family, because it's hard to transition and move your entire family. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that either, but you just have to find the balance, but it's not an easy thing at all. I won't lie to you. It's Mm -hmm. uh, mentally and physically exhausting. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the time, and trying to to be a dad via FaceTime or via Zoom, you know what I mean? And to to be like, right, make sure you do your homework, you know. And my my boy, my young boy, Fermi, he's getting older. He's six, and he realized like, 
yeah, I'm not going to get a spanking. You're not going to be back for two more weeks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's so sharp. He knows like, oh, okay, uh, you're in Nigeria. I'll see you in two weeks, you know? And so coming back and forth is, is difficult. If I had my way, I would definitely be full-time in Nigeria as much as possible. But I think I compensate, I, I make that up in, in being present when I'm there. And same as here. When I'm home, I'm, I'm home. I'm present. I try not to, I have to switch off. And then when I'm at, in the office, I'm in the office. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the staff. Like, hey, how's everything going? You know, and I'm in tune, you know. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not an easy thing, to, to be right. quite honest. Right, right. One of those that it's for the greater good. It's better to do it now and get it established. And then, you know, as things really grow and as things become bigger and the way that we're trying to set it up, it, it will run itself. You know what I mean? Like, I think gone are the days where you have to be so in control and hands-on on every aspect. Don't get me wrong. Like, you can't just be lackadaisical and just, oh, I hope everything is going to go good. No, mm-hmm. no, you have to mm-hmm. on the proper infrastructure. But I think that we live in a day and age where, you know, you can see things. I got the CCTV app on my phone. Like, I can see somebody right now, you know, what are you doing? Uh, you should be working and they can mm-hmm. hear the voice. Mm. So it was like, oh, and for a couple of local security guys that we had, they were like, oh, it's spiritual. <laughs> you know, they thought it was spiritual. <laughs> like, the voice of God. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you just have to make a conscious decision. If you have a double life, like I do, there's no way around it. You, you're just going to have to, uh, to go. And those, those for the, for those listening that are young and ambitious and want to go in, you know, this is the time. If you haven't yet started a family, if it's just you, you know, then go ahead. But then um, if you have already started a family, this is a decision that uh, you're going to have to make. You know, you can raise a family in Africa. It's, I mean, people are doing it all the time, you know, and you can build a life there. It's, it's uh, probably going to be a great opportunity for your children. You know, but for me, they were so entrenched and so involved with activities here to remove them from that wouldn't be fair. You know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right. Now, if they weren't involved in all the activities, gymnastics, soccer and taekwondo and have all these basketball teams and soccer teams that they were already used to. You can't just pull them out and say, oh, yeah, yeah come to Nigeria. You know what I mean? But uh, for one of my younger ones, uh, I, I've already turned into my parents. Uh, I threaten them all the time. I'm like, hey, <laughs> if you do this, when I'm going back, you're going with me. <laughs> yeah. so oh, that, that's, that's awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a really good point because I think the transition looks different for everyone depending on your circumstances and what choices you make. So people shouldn't feel like they have to be boxed into you know, a certain way of being involved or like building a business or building a career in Africa. It, it really is a very personal decision and it's about what, what works for you. I think that, that I'll leave on that note. I think mm. what I would say uh, a gym, you know, uh, obviously depending on what your faith is, but you have to be the one to write your story. Don't ever let anyone be the one to write your story for you. And your story will change. There's different phases in life. There's different times. So like you said, your transition from Philly back to Kenya, my transition from uh, Atlanta, Georgia to Lagos, it, it didn't look the same. And it doesn't mean that it will look the same for someone else. You know, we are ultimately in control of what our story and narrative should be, mm-hmm. you know, and regardless of how rocky your start may have been, 
you know, you can still change the ending. The ending doesn't have to be as rocky as, as it is, you know? And I think that a lot of times, especially younger people, they feel like they have to do it a certain way. They, they, they feel like they have to follow right. a certain path, but no, like, because I didn't follow a path. I, I created my own, I trailblazed, you know? And, and, and I think that that's important that the younger ones coming up behind us create your own path. You know what I mean? Like now there's certain elements that you can take from someone else's path. You know, there's certain nav navigational compass like, okay, oh, okay, he went this way. I'm going to go this way, but I'm going to go here and then I'm going to go here and then I'm going to do this. So, but I, I think that's, that's really important that we as individuals are the ones writing our own stories. Don't let someone write a story for you. Like, okay, come and work for me and then do this for 25 years and then retire. <laughs> you know, no, days. Like you can, you can go somewhere and just do two years. And then do another two years somewhere else and another two years. And don't worry about the perception of what other people think. As long as you are, you know, fulfilling your desire mm. and you're making an impact all along the way. Mm -hmm. I think that, that when the story is written, it makes more sense. Like, wow, because now you've, you've touched so many different lives in so many different aspects. And I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of people sometimes are afraid to do, you know, because yeah. when I first quit, everybody was like, ah. Are you mad? You are leaving. <laughs> oh, you want you to ditched, do us? You've ditched so the gravy train. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know it was hard. It was hard leaving. Uh, was hard in the beginning, but you know, you 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 stick with your guns. You know, and and it'll work out if you're dedicated. You're committed. Things things definitely work out and fall into place. You just yeah. have to be consistent. <laughs> you reminded me a good friend of mine. We were chatting about how. Um, our parents, you know, when we are like, oh, we want to move back. And obviously, like the Kenya they left was very was challenging, different. lots of political upheaval. And like you were only someone that mattered if you worked for a bank. <laughs> mm. And so here we are coming, we're like working for startups. And so they're like, gay, 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 gay. SMEs, SMEs. <laughs> <laughs> You've studied all this in America. SMEs, you've got to access. And I was like, oh my God, that's so true, you know. Yeah. But if if you want to be at the forefront of innovation, um, you know, and you want to do entrepreneurial stuff, it's actually one of the best um ways to come back. Um yeah, so yeah. so being true in spite of those societal expectations, um, being true to yourself. And going for opportunities that are aligned with what you want to do, I think is also really important. So thanks for sharing that. Um, no okay, um, I guess we can wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Adela. This was awesome. I don't think I've laughed this much in the <laughs> podcast recording. Um, uh, yeah, and thank you for the advice. Um, it was honestly spot on and I'm sure it's going to help someone who is maybe on the cusp so. of making a transition. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I'm really appreciative of your time. I'm going to let you go back to your family. Nah, uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for doing this. Um, and I'm looking forward yeah. to staying in touch. I can't wait to see all that you do. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave you with another little quick gem. Like, I think that, you know, your energy is amazing. You know, we met in Dubai at the conference mm -hmm. and, even this podcast, what you're doing, reaching out, I think you're doing a lot of good stuff. For those of you that watch her, she was a panelist, you know, on an all-male forum. 
You know, she was one of the only women. I was really, really impressed by how she represented Kenya. So uh, Jeff Kanigi, if you're out there, if you if you see this, you need to look up with Rose. You know, she's she's definitely doing good things. That's my good buddy, Jeff Kanigi. I look for him. <laughs> I look for him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember. So if you don't remember me, it was uh, Avec Jimmy. So then he'll... <laughs> more than me but um i just think it's important seeing seeing podcasts like yours and seeing people like you that are representing and carrying yourself the way you do and i, I just wanted to give you your flowers while you can oh, still smell you. them like i think you're doing and uh you know keep up the good work keep up uh, all the stuff that you're doing i think that you're also an inspiration for young kenyan women and for african women in general and for young african men as well just mm. the fact that you know out here on it you know i like to see this you know and iron sharpens iron and you know i get this energy from you and i'm like yo yo your rose is doing her thing let's keep yeah. doing this yeah <laughs> uh, salute to you salute right. to you and all everybody in you all right badai badai thank you so much my brother Deola. Oh. take care of yourself yes. and talk to you, you soon all, all right. right take care cheers bye, bye. Yeah. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adeola. Um, he's a really interesting character and you know, we really got into how he had to pivot uh, when once he got to Nigeria. You know, he had like a cushy corporate job and then transitioned into entrepreneurship, um, which has been, you know, successful but not without its challenges. So I highly encourage you to listen, especially if you're someone who is of African descent, um, maybe first generation American, and you know, thinking about starting a business on the continent. Um, I, I think he had a lot of great wisdom to share on how to make that transition. Um, so make sure you tune in on wherever you get your podcasts um, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, next week, I am joined by Nathan Wengusi. Um, Nathan is a water resource engineer, um, you know, worked at uh, IBM in Kenya and is currently running for MP uh, in Langata, um, which is a really interesting pivot to make. Um, you know, we, we talked about the, the importance of democracy and how actually Kenya is really fortunate to have, you know, a democratic system. Um, that works and I just personally learned a lot about how to you know navigate influencing policy and regulation um, and I think Nathan is a really fascinating person um, even the fact that he's chosen to run for MP in Langata is, is, is really interesting so I highly encourage you to listen to the podcast um, wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel.